And welcome back to The Word Encounter, episode 96. Uh, We're going to pick it up in Psalms chapter 31. So without further ado, let's get started. Uh, The title to this psalm is A Plea for Protection. In times of stress, depending upon God requires complete commitment. Verse 1. Lord, I seek refuge in you. Let me never be disgraced. Save me by your righteousness. Listen closely to me. Rescue me quickly. Be a rock of refuge for me, a mountain fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. You lead and guide me for your name's sake. You will free me from the net that is uh, secretly set for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I entrust my spirit. You have redeemed me, Lord God of truth. Drop down to verse 10. It says, indeed, my life is consumed with, the, with grief and my years with uh, groaning. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my bones have wasted away. I am ridiculed by my adversaries and even by my neighbors. I am disgraced by my uh, acquaintances. Those who see me in the street run from me. I am forgotten, gone from memory, like a dead person, like broken pottery. I have heard the gossip of many. Terror is on every side. When they conspired against me, they plotted to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. The course of my life is in your power. Rescue me from the power of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on me or make your face shine on your servant. Save me by your faithful love. Lord, do not let me be disgraced when I call on you. Let the wicked be disgraced. Let them be quiet in Sheol. Let lying lips that arrogantly speak against the righteous in proud contempt be silenced. That's a lot there. (laughs) Let's go on to chapter uh, 32. Uh, The title for this is The Joy of Forgiveness. Only when we ask to forgive our sins, only when we ask to forgive our sins, will will he give us real happiness and relief from uh, guilt. Verse 1, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle uh, from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained uh, as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And so we see here that David, um, he, he, he's not, he's not uh, restrained or he's not concerned at all about confessing his sin to the Lord. He's not trying to hide his iniquity or anything he has done. Unlike what many people do, David runs to the Lord when he has sinned to seek forgiveness and whatnot, to acknowledge that, yes, I have sinned. Where so many of us, we try to run away from the Lord, not try to um, acknowledge it, uh, try to justify it, uh, try to validate it, um, do everything in our power we can do instead of acknowledging it and fessing up. And so it's not like he doesn't know that we've been involved in iniquity or sin, But what he's looking for is a contrite heart that will admit not only to him, but admit to himself that, yes, I have failed you, Lord, and I am seeking forgiveness. Uh, Let's go into chapter 33. 
And it says, uh, praise to the creator. Uh, because God is uh, because God is creator, Lord, Savior, and deliverer, he is worthy of our trust and praise. Because he is faithful and his word is dependable, we can rejoice and sing, giving thanks and praise. Verse 1, rejoice in the Lord, you, righte you righteous ones. Praise from the uh, upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Uh, make music to him uh, with the, with the ten-stringed harp. Sing a new song to him. Play skillfully on the strings with a joyful shout. For the Lord, for the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is trustworthy. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is filled with the Lord's unfailing love. Let's drop down to verse 8. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. By the mere mention of the words from the, from the mouth of God, things were spoken into existence. Verse 12, happy is the nation uh, whose God is the Lord, the people he, he has chosen to be his own possession. Let me read that again. Happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen to be his own possession. We're living in a time where we're trying to run away from the things of the Lord. We view those things uh, societally as constraining, as uh, not allowing me to be me, as um, uh, some uh, somehow trying to hold me down or whatever. And we're, we, we think about these things on a societal level, not just an individual level. And so we seek to overturn a lot of things uh, that the Bible calls for and label it as something unpleasant, something that we should not have to hang around our necks, if you will, uh, for, you know, that's just man trying to control me or whatever. But everything in the Word uh, involving uh, human constraint, uh, involving uh, self-control, involving all, all of that is for the benefit of us. It's not to punish us. It's for our benefit because when a life is lived unrestrained and unconstrained, then the evilness of man's heart will always find the light of day and it will manifest and then people will be harmed. And so, you know, a lot of these things are put into place for our own good, yet we view them as something negative. Again, verse 12, happy is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen to be his own possession. Amen. Verse 13, the Lord looks down from heaven. He observes everyone. He gazes uh, on all the inhabitants of the earth from his dwelling place. He forms the hearts of them all. He considers all their works. You know, we don't get saved by works, as we'll see when we get into the New Testament. In other words, we don't get saved by being a good person or look at all the good that I've done, you know, and that being a motivation. No, we get saved by faith, meaning that we get saved by belief. And so we have a belief in the Lord. And if we have a belief in the Lord, then works will manifest from that. But the belief, the faith is the root. You know, the works are just a manifestation of the faith. And so... <clears throat> And so you can have two people doing the same thing, one doing it out of faith for his love of God, and the, one, the other one doing it because he thinks he's going to get something out of it. They can look exactly the same, but the motivation of the heart is what makes the difference. 
and, and the Lord can see the motivation. So he knows what the motivation is. And so in that case, one will be counted as righteous and the other will be counted as evil. And the exact same appearance of the works. And so it's, it's not about works. But the word is saying here that, or David is saying here that he's looking down and he's examining the works because, you know, faith without works is dead. So you can't have real faith unless there's some works coming out of that faith. It's not that the works lead, but that the works are the result of the faith. And so if there are no works coming forth, then one has to, uh, has to call into question whether, uh, whether there's any faith. And so um, it says uh, in verse 15, he forms the hearts uh, of them all. He considers all their works. In verse 18, but look, the Lord keeps his eye on those who fear him, those who depend on his faithful love to rescue them from death and to keep them alive in famine. And so uh, the faithful can look forward to being hidden under the shield of the Lord in times of trouble. Let's go on to chapter 34. And the heading says, the Lord delivers the righteous. God pays attention to those who call on him, whether God offers escape from trouble or help in times of trouble. We can be certain he always hears and acts on behalf of those who love him. Starting verse four here, it says, um, I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. You know, it's been my experience in life. The things that happen to us tend to be temporal. They don't tend to last long and they don't tend to harm us that much. But the fear of bad things happening is what controls us. That bad thing may never manifest, <clears throat> but the fear of it manifesting controls our behavior, our attitudes, our moods, our, uh, just a whole bunch of things. It, you know, the, the, the tentacles touch every part of us when we allow that fear to govern us. And sometimes we don't even recognize that as fear or we don't want to recognize that as fear, but it is actually the fear of the fear. And so... <clears throat> Here it says, you know, David says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. So he's not saying he's rescued me from all my enemies or rescued me from, you know, being killed or rescued me from people talking about me. He says he rescued me from all my fears. And that is a huge rescue. In verse six, the poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved uh, and saved him from all his troubles. In verse seven. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. So those who have a reverent awe and fear of the Lord. It says, David says that the angels of the Lord encamps, you know, they encircle him and, 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 and rescues them from those fears. In verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him? You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord for the Lord, for those who fear him lack nothing. So if you have a reverent awe, respect and fear of the Lord, the word here says that you'll lack nothing. Now, sometimes we get confused in things like this because we're thinking about um, things that we desire, not things that we need, things that we desire, things that we want. Sometimes thing that, things that we covet and lust after. And um, 
it's not talking about lacking those things because a lot of those things eventually are not going to be good for you. You might not know it, but God knows it. And so it's talking about you will lack nothing that you need, you know, not nothing that you want. <laughs> In verse 10, it says, young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will lack nothing, or, or those who think, uh, seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. See, it says will not lack any good thing. The Lord knows what's best for us more than we do. And it says here that uh, those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Verse 11, come children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Verse 12, who is someone who desires life, loving a long life and enjoying what is good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. So again, let's say verse 12, who is someone who desires life, long life to enjoy what is good? You know, so there's a question. Who out, who out there wants to have a good long life? And it says, well, if that's you, then keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Now, if we could do that, that would be huge. <laughs> Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. You know, the, these things are so simple, but they're so difficult for us to follow, especially when we get into a position of anger and rage and whatnot, we, th we throw off all constraints, all self-control. All of that goes out of the window. And we just do what uh, we think is going to satisfy us in the moment. And <clears throat> when we succumb to that sort of thing, there's always a price to be paid down the line. Always. Could be a sacrifice of a relationship could be, you know, sacrifice of peace, sacrifice of something, because we were not able to or chose not to control ourselves in the moment. In the moment. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to, uh, and his ears are open to their cry for help. And in verse 19, one who is righteous has many adversaries, but the Lord rescues him from them all. One who is righteous has many adversaries, but the Lord rescues him from them all. When you seek to do what is right in God's sight, not in your sight, not in man's sight, not in, you know, a political party's sight, not in what Joe down the street uh, thinks, not from his sight. It says one who is righteous has many adversaries. When you, when you seek to be righteous in the Lord's sight and seek to behave righteously, you will have adversaries because you will not do what they think you should be doing. You will not succumb to their pressure. See, you will, you, will, you will do what you know in your heart is right from the Lord's perspective. And that is not going to satisfy a whole bunch of people. And you will be an adversary to them because of that. But it says, but the Lord rescues him from them all. So all of those who arise and come against you because you are representing righteousness you will be rescued from them all. Let's go on to chapter 35. Title says, Prayer for Victory. A prayer to God for help against those who try to inflict injury uh, for no reason. When our enemies are unjust and lie about us, even when we do good uh, to them, we can appeal to God who is always just. Verse 1. <clears throat> Oppose my opponents... Oppose my opponents, Lord. Fight those who fight me. 
Take your shields, large and small, and come to my aid. Uh, draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers and assure me I am uh, your deliverance. So it says, Lord, you know, I need help. <laughs> come against these folks that are coming against me, you know, and assure me that you will deliver me. In verse 4, let those who intend to take my life be disgraced and humiliated. Let those who plan to harm me be turned back in a shame. And so, you know, a lot of times when we're seeking victory uh, against our adversaries, our minds can just go crazy. You know, we have to still ourselves, calm ourselves, press into the Lord, have faith that he's going to deliver us, and then act accordingly. Verse 27, it says, let those who want my vindication shout for joy and be glad. Let them continually say, the Lord be exalted. He takes pleasure in his servants' well-being. Verse 28, and my tongue will proclaim your righteousness, your praise all day long. And we find this being presented a lot where after something has been presented to us, after a prayer has been answered, um, you know, David makes a point of, of pointing out, don't forget to thank the Lord. Don't forget to not forget him. You know, because if not for him, you would still be in that situation. So don't forget. So many times good things happen to us and then we forget. And so David is warning us, don't do that. Don't forget. Let's go on to chapter 36. It says human wickedness and God's love. God's faithfulness, justice, and love are contrasted with sinful hearts of men and women. In spite of our fallen condition, God pours out his love on those who know him. Notice it says on those who know him, not those who've heard about him or those who kind of sort of follow him, but those who know him. That knowing is an intimate knowing. That knowing, you know, is somebody who's in communion with God who's seeking to, to, to do righteousness by his standards. <clears throat> Verse 1, an oracle, um, an oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked person. Dread of God has no effect on him. See? <clears throat> so concerning the wicked person, the dread of God has no effect on him. He, he doesn't, it doesn't even register with the w wicked person. Verse 2, for with his flattering opinion of himself, he does not discover and hate his iniquity. And so he thinks so highly of himself that the things that he does that are evil and wrong and whatnot, not only does he not stop doing them, he doesn't even discover them and therefore doesn't recognize them. So he, he, he just, hey. Whatever. I'm making the rules. I'm doing my thing according to how I feel I should be doing it. In verse 3, the words from his mouth are malicious and deceptive. He has stopped acting, acting wisely and doing good. Even on his bed, he makes malicious plans. He sets himself on a path that is not good, and he does not reject evil. In other words, you know, saying like even on his bed, he's making malicious plans. So, so homeboy is right here, you know, laying down, trying to go to sleep. And he's, he's thinking of schemes and evil schemes and things he can do in order to get over, in order to do what he thinks um, is right. Now, he might not even think it's right. He, he just say, hey, it's something I want. I'm going after it. And that's that. And <laughs> verse seven, 
says how priceless your faithful love is, God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They are filled from the abundance of your house. You let them drink uh, from your refreshing stream for the wellspring of life is with you. By means of your light, we see light. Verse 10, spread your faithful love over those who know you and your righteousness over the upright in heart. Do not let the fool um, of the arrogant come near me or the hand of the wicked drive me away. And so David's praying here, don't let the wicked influence me. You know, keep that influence away from me. Don't let the wicked come near me. Don't let their influence come near me. I don't want to succumb to that. You know, it says, uh, you know, drive the hand of, of the wicked away from me. I don't want to deal with that. And too many times we get sucked into the presence of the wicked. And either knowingly or subconsciously or whatever, their wicked ways start to seep into our ways. And before you know it, you know, we become indistinguishable from them. We got to guard against that. Let's go on to chapter 37. It says, um, instruction is wisdom. Trust in the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Uh, this psalm vividly contrasts the wicked person with the righteous. It says in verse 1, do not be agitated by evildoers who are not, uh, or do not envy those who do wrong. See, a lot of times we think that the evildoers are having all the fun. It says here, don't envy them. Okay. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Make your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by, those who, uh, by one who prospers in this way, by the person who carries out evil plans. Refrain from evil and give up your rage. They go hand in hand. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. Man, I need to highlight that. I didn't highlight that. Now I got to highlight it. Refrain from your anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. In verse 12, the wicked person schemes against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. It says that the Lord laughs at him because he sees that his day is coming. And so the wicked, you know, sees the, uh, the wicked person schemes against the righteous, tries to do wrong by the righteous and do what they can to undermine the righteous and whatnot. It says the Lord laughs at him because he sees that his day is coming. That wicked person doesn't see the day is coming, but the Lord does. In verse 16. The little that the righteous person has is better than the abundance of many wicked people. Let me repeat that. The little that the righteous person has is better than the abundance of many wicked people. So many times, you know, uh, we, we, we look on th things that the wicked have with kind of an envious eye. It's like, why them, not us? You know, I'm doing right, they're doing wrong. Whatever. So don't do that. The little that you think you have is much more than the greatness that you think they own. Verse 17, for the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord supports the righteous. In verse 21, it says the wicked person borrows and does not repay, but the righteous one is gracious and giving. In verse 25, 
I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. So David is saying in the span of my lifetime, I have not seen the righteous uh, abandoned by the Lord. I have not seen their children being not taken care of. Verse 30, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. His tongue speaks what is just. The instruction of his God is in his heart. His steps do not falter. His steps do not waver. The righteous one doesn't waver because the Lord is in his heart. And so he does not veer off and do his own thing, thinking as though that is the way I am to live my life. And so with that, we're going to stop here in chapter 37. We're going to pick it up in chapter 38 tomorrow. Everybody have a blessed day. Bye-bye.